the technology is getting smarter and able to make the right decisions going forward. I think as that database gets built out, the AI will be a lot more relevant and a lot more helpful. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narathari, founder and CEO of iRadius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm delighted to host Manny Korakis, an experienced finance shared service leader with over 20 years of expertise in leading various C-suite roles across companies like American Express Global Business Travel, S&P, and Symbol Technologies. Manny is currently serving as the SVP, Chief Accounting Officer, Corporate Controller, and Treasurer at IQVA, VIA. Manny, I don't know if I pronounced the name right. Is it abbreviation? Maybe we can start with that. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Sashi. And, uh, and first of all, thanks for inviting me to join you on this podcast. It's IQVIA, just an acronym, sort of. It's the formation of two companies that were independently public companies, IMS Health and Quintiles, the I in IQVIA and the Q in IQVIA stand for those companies. Thanks for inviting me to join you. You bet. All right. Maybe, Manny, we can start with a little bit about your career journey, maybe some about yourself and how your career has evolved over the years. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go way back. First off, I was born and raised in Queens, New York. I didn't really have a lot of professional guidance. My parents were both immigrants from Greece and focused on just establishing themselves in the country. But I had a feeling I wanted to study business, and, I, and I'm not really sure where that came from. It's just when I was in high school, it was something that I wanted to pursue. And I chose to major in, uh, in accounting. So I, I kind of went into a cold. I knew nothing about the industry, but the content really made sense to me, and I really I enjoyed it. So pursued that. Incidentally, when I was in high school, I was a DJ, which is not the stereotypical path for an accountant. I then started my career in the pretty typical way that a lot of accounting majors do. I started in public accounting. At the time, it was the big six. I worked for Arthur Anderson, which no longer exists. Served as an auditor for much of my time there. Then decided that I wanted something different than just external auditing or public accounting and went into private industry. I took roles as uh, head of internal audit to start with of a public company and then migrated into controllership at McGraw-Hill and started getting involved in GBS as I went into controllership and continued to be involved in shared services at American Express Global Business Travel and now at IQVIA. All right. So from DJ to accountant to now Chief Accounting Officer in Shared Services. Congratulations. <laughs> That's right. That's some path. <laughs> All right. So Manny, we'll start with the six dead or alive questions. I'll start with the first one. In 10 years, do you think BPOs for outsourcing will be dead or alive? I think they'll be dead in the current structure. I started looking at how BPOs work with organizations back in my McGraw-Hill days. I started thinking about it and then much more actively uh, when I was at American Express Global Business Travel and, uh, and started actioning some things now at IQVIA. Uh, based on my learnings in the two previous companies. You think about what a BPO does, uh, or at least what many companies want them to do. And I'll focus on financial shared services, by the way. Effectively, uh, we give the BPO a decision tree and want them to follow that decision tree. 
And the BPO tends to put people, large quantities of people on the processes to manually process based on our decision tree. Now, I don't want them to think outside of that decision tree because they don't have the right context that an insider would, but I do want them to process efficiently and effectively. Well, a lot of that can be programmed now in the technologies that are available to us. So in the current structure, I don't think BPOs will survive, but if they migrate more to a technology platform uh, and start delivering that same service with the use of just technology and minimal people, that's the path that I see the industry going down. Very interesting. So I think what you're saying, Manny, is the fact that most of the BPOs are like a labor cost arbitrage play and you probably give a standard operating procedure step-by-step what to do and you don't want them to go outside. You're saying theoretically that can be coded and then maybe it's not required to outsource so it'll get more and more automated. That's exactly right. I'll give you an example. When at IQVIA here, we had a BPO where we outsourced, exactly as you said, we wanted to get the labor arbitrage. It was very, uh, it drove a lot of savings rather when we when we first did it, but they were following that decision tree. So we went through a, a process now that I wanted to eliminate the BPO and just utilize technology, which we went from roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of two to 300 people in the BPO that manually processed transactions for us. And now instead we've insourced more technology resources in our shared service than traditional financial shared services resources to build technology to process those transactions instead of using people in an offshore location. Uh, and to give you some context, I think it was two to 300 at the BPO at any given point in time, depending on volumes. And we've hired somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 very different skill sets, technology skill sets, to automate the processes that were historically done by the BPO. And we've now eliminated the BPO from our organization. It's all driven by technology. So just curious, that's an interesting one. So you have 200 to 300 people. You hired about 50 to 60 technologies to automate. How many finance and accounting people did you end up having as a subset when you brought it back inshore? Yeah, so we had a retained organization beforehand. I think many companies keep a retained organization when they work with the BPO, which is the right model for the more complicated transactions and for exceptions. That retained organization stayed in place. It's a very small organization. And I'll tell you, depending on the tower, you know, we have record to report, procure to pay, and order to cash. That retained organization flexes depending on the complexity of the tower. So the internal resources, finance and accounting, really haven't changed. In fact, we probably cut back some from our historical structure. The new resources that are hired, while they know a little bit about finance and accounting, they're primarily technology resources. So I've effectively swapped outsourced finance and accounting resources with insourced technology resources that know about finance and can drive that automation for me. Wow, super impressive. And that might be the future. We'll go to the second dead or alive question. This is around large physical service centers. In 10 years, a lot of these centralized large service centers, do you think they'll be dead or alive, especially given the COVID effect, a lot of work from home, remote, a lot of things getting accelerated? What are your thoughts? I think the large centers will be dead. And as you just mentioned, a lot of that was 
helped and accelerated by COVID, it probably, in my opinion, we would have gone down that path as an industry anyway. But COVID certainly accelerated it because it, it was the case study for can we do this work remotely? We were all forced to and saw that, you know, it took a little bit of, of learnings initially and there were some bumps in the road for sure. But we quickly found that it can be done remotely. There were very few tasks that you actually needed people to be in an office to do. You can argue it might be more efficient. There's relationship building, and all that's true. I'm speaking specifically about the processing of transactions. It was able to be done largely remotely, and I think that's been embraced. So the historical model of needing large masses of people in central locations is not needed you can look instead for the right skills that you need in whatever location they sit in and leverage technology to do, uh, you know, to help you with the interactions. I see that model uh, being dead in 10 years from now. Got it. All right. Third question is on RPA. In 10 years from now, do you think RPA in the current form? So what I mean by that is a lot of RPA implementations are automating the as-is screen flow or screen scraping. Do you think that will be dead or alive? I think I'm going to be three for three here. I think that's also uh, dead in 10 years in its current form. And that's very critical to focus on. In the current form, RPA just processes, I don't mean to minimize it when I say just, but it processes what you program into it very efficiently. It over and over again, repetitively will process it just as you programmed it, but there's no artificial intelligence or machine learning built into that. And when you think about the future of shared services, it's got to evolve ultimately to more than just the thing, more than just the processing to a little bit more thinking and value add services. So RPA can do the front end of it. And I think it has to evolve into more machine learning and artificial intelligence to be successful in the future. Got it. And that brings us to the fourth dead or alive question on AI. What are your thoughts on AI itself? Especially there's a lot of hype. Also, there's a lot of Interesting projects going on, but in 10 years from now, specific to GBS, will it be dead or alive? Before I say uh, dead or alive, I'll tell you, I do think it's a lot of hype today, and I'll explain that. But I, I think it'll be alive in the future. It's a lot of hype today because the, the concept is great. I'm not sure that we've populated the databases to really have the machines learn as effectively as they should. To, it sounds weird to have the experience to make the right decisions going forward. Once we continue to program those databases, which is happening now, people are building these. The technology is getting smarter and able to make the right decisions going forward. I think as that database gets built out, the AI will be a lot more relevant and a lot more helpful. We just have to live through the pain in the short term where there's not enough built into the system to help you make the right decision. Got it. All right. The next question is India as a service center location in 10 years. Uh, as you know, there are consistent wage increases added to that also the inflation rates. Do you think India is a top choice for service centers to be dead or alive in 10 years? I think as a top choice, it'll be dead. But mostly to do with the fact that I don't really believe that in 10 years we'll need these large service centers. India was great from a labor arbitrage perspective. You got very cheap labor there. You got good skills there. It was a fantastic model. But as people evolve 
more to the technology space and to the decentralized model. I don't know that India is going to be the only place that people go to. You don't need these large masses of people in a physical center anymore. So you might have a few people in India, you might have a few people scattered throughout Europe. You might have, you know, I'll give you an example. In today's environment where we're at, we hire people in Eastern Europe. Uh, we have people in India, but they're very scattered relative to the historical centralized model. I'm more interested in, do they have the right skills at the right price point to do the job? Makes sense. I think what you're saying is, if you think about the repeatable steps that is done in a lower cost location, with the assumption that that will get automated, you want people with more knowledge, maybe technology automation or handling the exceptions. And there's a little bit more hiring skill, and that could be available anywhere in the world. That's right. The second piece is very important is somebody has to maintain that technology. So that piece as well has to be embedded somewhere in the organization, either in-sourced or can be outsourced, frankly. But that, that skill can be anywhere in the world. You just need the right skills to maintain that technology. All right. The last question is on the fate of GBS itself, the data rally question. Uh, this is the world we live in. In 10 years, do you think GBS as an organization will be dead or alive? In its current form, I think it'll be dead. But I'll caveat that with it's going to evolve. And if it evolves in the right way, it can still be alive. First off, the, the one thing we have to get past is that I haven't, I'm sure they exist. I haven't seen many really successful, comprehensive GBS organizations. You, know, you think about the top three types of shared services, financial, HR, and IT, they're very different skills. So pulling them together, you know, what kind of skill do you need to lead that? You don't really have the content or the depth of knowledge in any one of those if you lead all three together, or you may have it in one and not in the other two. So I think that's kept it from truly being successful. But very importantly, where I see the future of GBS, and I'll focus it on financial shared services, just because that's where most of my experience is. I think the model is going to change to be more customer-focused, vendor-focused, stakeholder-focused, and any third party outside of the organization. Today's model is looking internally. How do we process things cheaper, faster, more accurately? And we're going to get really good at that. We've gotten really good at that. So what's the next stage in that? Now that we can deal with the internal view, I think the next stage has to be a customer-centric, vendor-centric model. You, you look at order to cash. There's very few touch points today with the customer as a process from shared services. Yeah, there's a bill that goes out, but there's not a lot of thought put into, is this a better customer experience? That I think GBS has to migrate more to that and then it would be successful in 10 years. All right. On a closing note, what is your advice as a CFO, Chief Accounting Officer to other GBS leaders? Well, I'll tell you the one thing throughout my career that I never used this term to myself, but I've heard this term now. And I think it, it really um, is spot on for some the way I handle myself earlier in my career. Stay out of your lane or don't stay in your lane. That's my advice to people in, in GBS, particularly because my view that I think is going to be much more customer-centric and vendor-centric in the future. Don't just think about the process that you're looking at and managing in isolation. Think about how it touches other parts of the organization, how it impacts 
the customer base, the, the vendor base, et cetera, to expand beyond just, just what your day-to-day remit is. Because that, that's where I really see the future of GBS. And that's how you start thinking more like a business person rather than a processor. All right. Manny, this has been a very insightful conversation. I think you have taken some calculated risks and you're up to something and that might be where the GBS world is going. Thank you and it was a delight to have you on the Masterminds today. Thank you, Sasha. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.